everybody, is everybody awake? Huh? Oh, I enjoy the singing. I enjoy the singing. It's really good. Thank you guys for uh, the practice and and um, and getting up here and singing and keeping us focused on the right thing. Uh, we appreciate that so much. And uh, I uh, want you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Kings in the Old Testament. 2 Kings, chapter 18. Chapter 18. I want to read a little story for you. Um, and uh, then preach about it. Uh, I'd like to preach for about... 20 minutes. I, I've never done that, but I'd like to do it someday, you know. Uh, <laughs> All right, everybody got it? All right, let's stand together, please, and we'll read verse 1, Starting in verse 1 and read down to verse 8. The Bible says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all uh, that David his father did. He removed the high places and brake the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. All right? Did, did y'all get that? I mean, did, did you really get it though? This man, this king, took a 700-year-old relic and smashed it. Can you hear the deacons meeting? <laughs> huh? Thank you, my friend. Can, 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 you, uh, can you imagine the emails? That he got the next morning? Uh-huh. Pastor didn't have email back then. All right, at least you're awake. Huh? Yeah, they had book face. I, I mean, uh, Facebook. Facebook, sorry. All right, look back at verse 4. I want this to sink into you, folks, what this man did. He smashed the brazen serpent, the brass serpent that Moses made in the wilderness. All right? And he called it Nehushtan. He called it Nehushtan. Verse 5, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord, and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and prospered, and he prospered, of whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. He smote the Philistines unto Gaza, in other words, all the way to Gaza, and the, uh, the um, 
the, the borders thereof, from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. All right, I'll stop reading right there, and I want us to uh, pray together, and then uh, we'll, we'll, I'll uh, preach the message. Let's pray first. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to stand here and open the Word of God and preach from its pages. And Father, thank you for telling us this about Hezekiah. What a great man he must have been. Father, I, I pray that as we look at his life and some of the things that he accomplished, I pray that you'll help us to to get the point of the sermon. And Lord, may it encourage our hearts this, this, this afternoon. Father, we need encouragement. Amen. We live in a world that is so discouraging and so depressing. We live in, in, in a world that is just filled with violence and hatred. And Father, I pray you'll help us this morning to get a little glimpse of what doing right is all about. So, Father, help us, and we'll give you the praise and glory for what you do. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, folks. You may be seated. All right, King Hezekiah took the throne of Judah under the, the great uh, golden-tongued prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah sort of guided him and helped him along. Uh, you know, when God set up the order of things in the Old Testament, he gave them, so far as government was concerned, he gave them uh, the, the office of the prophet and then the office of the priest and then the office of the king. All right, now, the prophet was there to get God's message and give it to the king. All right, that was his job. The prophet was to get God's word, give it to the king, and the king, with his authority, was then to carry out the commands of the Lord. And of course, there was the priest, and the priest was there for the purpose of, uh, of interceding on behalf of the people. So that's why there were three offices under the, uh, or, or under the Mosaic law. Now, uh, when Hezekiah became the king, uh, Isaiah, the prophet, was there to guide him. Wouldn't that have been something? I mean, to have Isaiah giving you God's message on how to govern the kingdom. Man, that must have been something else. And that may be why Hezekiah was such a good king and such a godly king. Simply because he had a great advisor. He had mentorship that was effective and mentorship that uh, that that uh, he listened to and was uh, and was therefore uh, greatly guided by the man of God. Now, if you look at verse five, you or, or verse three, I'm sorry, you'll see how God describes King Hezekiah. How does God describe him? Well, here's what God says about him in verse three we read that he did that which was right before the Lord, before the eyes of the Lord, in the sight of the Lord, he did that which was right. Then you look at verse five and you'll see that he trusted in the Lord. And if you look at verse six, you will see that he clave to the Lord and followed the Lord's commandments. And then in verse 7, we read that the Lord was with him and that the Lord prospered him 
uh, in every endeavor uh, he took uh, uh, while reigning over uh, the nation of Judah. Now, as the Holy Spirit is reviewing Hezekiah's reign, he tells us in verse 4 of a very strange thing that this king did. In verse 4, we, we, we read that Hezekiah took the brazen serpent, the brass serpent, that Moses held up as a means of deliverance uh, from the deadly bite of the fiery serpents. And uh, you remember he held it up and the serpents were biting the people because of their rebellion and God sent them to, to bite the people and, uh, and to wipe them out, to destroy them. And, and Moses said, no, Lord, don't do that. Don't do that. I'm interceding on their behalf. I'm praying to you, God, don't do this. And so God heard Moses' prayer and he told him to, to fashion a piece of brass and make it look like a serpent and put it on a pole and hold it up and walk through the camp saying, look and live. All they had to do was look and live. All right. Oh, by the way, it's the same way today. If you want to escape hell, look to Jesus, my friend. Look and live. It's that simple. Jesus is the way. And so, so uh, Hezekiah is standing here preaching and teaching and helping folks to understand that under his rule as the king in Judah, we're going to do right. We're going to do what's right. And so he took that brazen serpent, and we are reminded here in verse 4, look at it, for unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. Now do you know what that means? That means that they took that brazen serpent and made an idol out of it. And they burned incense to it. And they probably prayed to it. An inanimate object became an idol. And Hezekiah said, we're not doing this while I'm the king. And so he raised it up in the air. And with the eyes of all the leadership upon him, Hezekiah took that brazen serpent 700 plus years old and he smashed it, smashed it across a piece of furniture and broke it into a thousand pieces. Wow. I'm going to tell you something, folks. That guy has some intestinal fortitude. All right, that's Hebrew for saying that man has got a lot of guts. Yep. You with me? Yep. He had a lot of integrity and character and he wasn't afraid of people. He was more concerned about his walk with God than he was what the people thought about him. Amen. But he's the king. And so he says, we're going to do right. We're going to do right. I mean, that's all there is to it. We're just going to do right. And he said, as he took it in his hand, you people, uh, you the leadership of Judah, you who ought to know better, you are making an idol out of this. Bang! And he breaks it into a, a thousand pieces. Man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look that guy up and I'm going to say, man, I preached about you all over America and, and in New Zealand. Amen. And I'm going to shake his hand, pat him on the back and give him my, my, my main points. Amen. I'm sure he'll be thrilled. Don't, don't you think he will be? Hey, can you imagine when you get to heaven, you're going to get to see King David? Amen. Abraham, 
Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Man, can you just think about getting their story from them? I mean, we're going to have eternity. We might as well just grab each one of them and sit down and say, tell me about your story. I read about it in the Bible, but I want to hear it from you. Amen. Wouldn't that be awesome? Man, I'm excited about that. I can't wait. I, 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 I want to talk to Paul. I want to talk to Paul. I want to ask him, hey, uh, Paul, when, when you were at Derby and Lystra and they came out and they stoned you to death, you did die, didn't you, Paul? I mean, he said in 2 Corinthians, I knew a man. He said, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Who made it? I don't know how many heavens there are, but he made three of them. There's the heaven, the air we breathe. There's the heaven, outer space. And the third heaven must be the throne of God. And he said he got up there. Somebody said Paul got up there, looked around. Anybody needed to be saved. Wasn't any churches that needed to be built. And he said, Lord, if it's all right with you, can I just go back? I'm not done yet. And that's why God sent him back. I'm going to ask him, is that true? Is that why God sent you back? Now, you said you couldn't talk about what was up here. What do you see? Have you seen? Did you see anything we haven't seen yet? I'm excited about it. Let's get back to Hezekiah. Breaks it. You say, Pastor, why in the world did he, did he just have to go to such extremes? Why not just remove it? You know, why not, why not just get it out of the way? No, no, it's got to be, it's got to be gone. It's got to be gone. Yep. You know, uh, you remember when Moses died? And God buried him. Remember that? And no man knows where he was buried. <laughs> no man knows. You want to know why God didn't want anybody to know where he buried Moses? Because without a doubt, a bunch of dummies would go and build an idol and a temple over it and burn incense to it and look to that as their salvation. That's just the way we are. That's just what we are as sinners. And so, so the, the Bible said, no, no, we're going to get rid of it. Now, folks, again, I want you to realize what this man did. 700 years of history. In America, I, everybody asks me where I live. Uh, well, I live in Maryland, the state of Maryland, which in my opinion is the state of confusion. That's where I live, all right? And uh, we, live, we live about uh, 40 minutes from Baltimore, which is, as you're driving to it, is this way, and then we live about an hour from Washington, D.C., all right? And D.C. means what? The capital, right. The <laughs> capital, yes, exactly. Don't ever forget that now. <laughs> and we'll have guests. We'll have guests. We'll have missionaries come. And they'll say, uh, uh, can we go to Washington, D.C.? Excuse me, Pastor. Uh, what is D.C., please? The capital. <laughs> no, it's District of Columbia. Yeah. All right, so listen now. All right, listen now. They'll say, can we go to Washington, D.C.? And, uh, and I just look at them and go, why? Why? Why do you want to go there? All right, man. 
But I understand somebody from another country would like to go down, see the Washington Monument, see the Lincoln Memorial, see the reflecting pool, see the White House. Well, you might not want to see it now. <laughs> see the White House, uh, see Congress. I mean, you know, you might want to see that. And uh, so we get down there sometimes and go to, there's like, 16 or 17, I don't know, a whole, a whole bunch of Smithsonian Institutes. That's what they call them. And they have, uh, they have everything in these. I mean, there's art. Uh, there's one that just has old paintings. Oh, boy. You know? Let's go watch grass grow. What do you say? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, but there's, a, there's one that has uh, like natural history. There's one that has uh, all the things that, ha that have been invented in America. Edison's light bulb. The very first light bulb that Edison created is in the Smithsonian. And you ready for this? It still works. Yeah. You say, well, these go out in two days. I know. You know why they build them so they go out in two days? So you'll keep buying them. Edison's light bulb is still burning. Go figure. All right, so we go down, and then there's one place we go in the Capitol, and it's got like this big curtain probably twice as big as that big old curtain and uh, you go in and the guide will say well i'm going to show you something now and we don't we don't uh we don't shine lights on this and we're going to open it but we're going to dim dim the lights you can see it you can read it but it's we don't uh you know you can't leave it open it's too priceless and it's an original copy of of the first American flag. The very first American flag. And there it, there it hangs. Now I'm talking about the, the one that Betsy Ross sewed together. And it's hanging. It's hanging. And then they'll take you over and they'll pull another one back. And there is the United States Constitution. Now, those things are only 250 some odd, 250 years old. This one, <laughs> this brazen serpent, 700 years old. And Hezekiah smashes it. All right, everybody, everybody see the intensity there? Yeah. Okay, you hear you, you you hear the deacons run into the office, huh? Pastor, we need to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, pastor, come on, we're gonna hang you from the highest limb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, pastor, you're fired. <laughs> All right, now. Folks, listen, why destroy it? I'll tell you why. Because they made it into a false god. Yeah. That's idolatry. Yeah. All right, now just a couple of thoughts. First of all, what is the reason for idolatry? Why do people go into idolatry? I think there is a twofold reason why people practice idolatry. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, well, preacher, we are fundamental Baptist people. We aren't idolaters. Man, I wish that was true. Yeah. I wish that was true. Let me remind you, folks, an idol is anything you put before the Lord. An idol is anything you put before the Lord. 
about, um, I don't know, it was uh, right after 9-11, and you all, I'm sure, know what happened to the United States on 9-11. Uh, we got caught taking a nap, and it cost us 3,000-some souls. Just in a heartbeat, bang, they're gone. Terrible, terrible time. Terrible time. And, and uh, when that happened, uh, we, 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 uh, our economy tanked, and that brought the rest of the world along with us. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a disaster. Uh, the uh, airlines, oh my, that's when all that changed. I remember saying when I was preaching down in West Virginia and I watched, I was watching it on the news and I remember saying, we'll never be the same. America will never be the same and boy, we haven't been. It is just so sad what, what those radicals did. What a terrible thing. Now, Shortly after that, gasoline prices went from about a dollar, it was about a dollar eighty a gallon. A gallon, not a liter, a gallon. Yeah. All right? So at that price, you know, you could fill up your car for, you know, $20, $25. It wasn't that big of a deal. $25, maybe. And, but then all of a sudden, after our buildings collapsed, and after 3,000 some people died, and, uh, and the, the world economy crashed, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, gas prices went, wow, right through the roof. Got up to almost $5 a gallon. Now I know you guys, well we pay seven per liter. God, listen, God bless you. You know, God bless you. I'm sorry you have to do that. If I was running it, you wouldn't have to do that. All right? But I'm not running it. And they won't let me run it. I'd like to. <laughs> All right, but here, here's the thing, folks. Here's the thing. Gas goes up. And I had... Several people come to me and they said, uh, Pastor, um, I think this is probably our last Sunday. Why? Well, you know, gas is $5 a gallon. So? Well, we can't afford to drive to church. I said, um, you gonna drive to work tomorrow? Well, yeah. I said, Skip work and come to church. <laughs> right? Right? And this this gal, this lady, she comes up to me. She's got she's got three of them hanging onto her skirt. And she's got two of them by the hand. And they all slam into her when she stops. And she looks at me and says, This is our last Sunday, Pastor. I said, What are you talking about? Well, we live in so-and-so, and it's 30-minute drive, and we can't afford to put gas in the car, so we're, we're, we're going to have to find us a church closer to home. And I said, uh, wow. I said, well, what about them? What about them? She said, uh, what do you mean? And I said, you're going to take them out from under the authority of their church. You're going to take them out from under my ministry, my preaching. You're going to take them out from under our children's programs. You're going to take them out from under our Christian school. You're going to take them out from under our youth pastor who is crazy. He's crazy. The kids love him because he's 45 years old and one of them. All right? 
I mean, it, it, they love it. And I said, you're going you're gonna to keep your children from becoming a part of our youth ministry. Are you kidding me? All because gas is $5 a gallon? I said, let me fix this for you. She said, what do you mean? I said, here's what you do. I said, now you're saying that money is your problem, right? She said, yeah. I said, all right, here's what you do. I said, you go home tonight, and then tomorrow morning, you call Comcast, and you tell them that you're turning off your cable television. Amen. It got real quiet in the room here. Did you notice that? It got real quiet in here. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. You know, I'll say something like that in America, and everybody will put their head. I'll say, raise your head. We're not praying. I didn't say let's pray. <laughs> look at me. Look at me. <laughs> oh, I don't let them get away with nothing. No. I watch them like a hawk, boy. And so, so I said, cancel your cable. She said, well, what, 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 what? And I said, Problem? Oh, we can't do that. I said, why not? I said, here's another one. I said, do, do you have, do you have, um, uh, do you have one of these monsters? I pulled my monster out of my back pocket. And I said, do you have one of these monsters? Yeah. I said, how much does that cost you a month? Silence. I said, cancel that. Get rid of that. And then you can come to church. Amen. Yep. You're not going to like this one, preacher. I said, how much coffee do you drink a week? <laughs> Instead of amen, he's over here saying, oh, me. <laughs> That's idolatry. Whatever you put before God, that's idolatry. Amen. If it's a cup of coffee, if it's a telephone, it, you know, I would, I would sell my car and get a bicycle if that's what it took to keep me in the church. Amen. Amen. And I'm just one of those. I know I'm a fanatic. I understand that. I'm a zealot. I know that. But I'm just one of those that believes Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Amen. You're in the house of God. Yep. Sunday morning. Su oh, Sunday school in the morning. Sunday morning preaching. Sunday afternoon or evening preaching. We have it in the evening. And then Wednesday night. Amen. Yes, indeed. That's idolatry, folks. And that's what's wrong with so many of us. We'll have, we'll have a church full. My, my, my church is, is it's, it's, it's like an oval. I can turn this way and there are people, and I can turn this way and there are people, and then it has a balcony that goes all the way up, and, and the church seats around 1,462 people, something like that, all right? And we can have this huge crowd, full church on Sunday morning, and then on Sunday night, three quarters of them. Where's the other quarter? You know? What are they doing? What is more important than being in the house of God? And I'll ask them that question, and again, it's, let's pray. <laughs> no, let's not pray. Let's get under conviction and get right with God. You know, are we here to sit and watch television, or are we here to serve the Lord? I just think we ought to serve the Lord. I mean, mercy, he reached down in the pit 
lifted you out, changed your heart, gave you a song to sing. I mean, why not thank him for it for the rest of our lives? I want to be in God's house. Now, why do we practice idolatry? All right. Let me give you two reasons. All right. There's two reasons, I think. Uh, uh, first of all, it is a revelation of a loss of consciousness towards God. It is the revelation of a loss of consciousness toward God. Folks, can I remind you, Matthew 6.33, our Savior said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. These people could never have burned incense to the brass serpent if the presence of God had been first and foremost in their hearts. I mean, you look back at their history when they were supremely aware, supremely conscious of God in their lives, the making and the worship of an idol was totally unheard of. Look at them at Jericho. They were trusting and following God's command. And what happened? Well, God delivered. God delivered. They knew they were facing an unspeakable challenge by going up against that walled city. But when, when you're walking with God and when God's in control and when God says, go take Jericho and you obey, you don't have to do anything but just wait and God does it. God knocked the walls down. And by the way, folks, he knocked them inward, not outward. All the children of Israel had to do was just take a step, and they were in. Amazing, huh? I've been there. I've seen it. I've seen the walls. And they go in. <laughs> that's just amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. But that's our God. Now, did, did they have any idols there? No. No? No idols. No, they were... They were rejoicing in the goodness of the Lord. Now, what was the next town they went to? Do you remember? Little old Ai? Little town, Ai? Yeah. And, and what happened there? They got soundly defeated. Soundly defeated. And when they came back, dragging their, their, their wounded and their dead with them, Moses went and said, Lord, what happened? What was the problem here? I mean, we went into Jericho, victory. We go into little old Ai, not near the size of Jericho, and we get whooped, beaten by a bunch of little people in this little town. What happened? God said, well, you need to go see a guy named Achan. And you need to look under his, under his, uh, uh, in his tent, under his mattress. You need to go over and pull it up. What, what did he do? He took idols. <clears throat> idols. And when he disobeyed God, thinking that he needed an idol instead, what happened? They lost. They lost. And folks, that is exactly, exactly what happens to us. We, we get to the place where, where we think that, uh, that, that, you know, I can do this without God. No, you can't. Amen. No, you can't. That's idolatry. You think you can do the work of the ministry without God? You think you can teach your class, your Sunday school class? Without God, you think that you can stand up and give a message without the Lord's help? That's idolatry. That's you saying, God, I'm going to put me yeah. out in front of you. Yeah. That's not going to work. 
We don't need to be idols, folks. Idol worshipers. And we, we need to trust the Lord. So, what did Hezekiah do? Well, here's what he did. The text tells us, the text tells us that the king did two things. First of all, he named their idol the brazen serpent Nehushtan. Nehushtan. Now you say, well, why did he call it that? What does that mean? All right, write this down. Here's what it means. A thing of brass. You get that? Can you imagine Hezekiah takes that brazen serpent, 700 years old, holds it up, smashes it across a piece of furniture and says, this is just a piece of brass. That's it. Can a piece of brass lead you? No. It's an inanimate object. You can go in, look here, let's say that the, these flowers, these flowers, beautiful arrangement, these flowers are, are, are the brazen serpent. We're going to walk in and say, oh, brazen serpent, I need wisdom. Give me wisdom, brazen serpent. And somebody's going to be walking by looking at you and thinking, good night, that guy's nuts. He's talking to a flower pot. <laughs> right? That can't do anything for me. Yeah. That can't do anything for me. Why do we want to waste our time on things yeah. that won't work? Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's called, it's called our sin nature. That's what it's called. And let me tell you something, folks. When he said, when he said, you people are bowing before this uh, and then broke it and then called it Nehushtan, it's just a piece of brass. I wonder if it sunk into them. I wonder if they figured it out. I wonder if they got it. So he called it Nehushtan. Second thing he did, he broke it. He broke it. But King, that's a sacred object. How could you do something like that? Why don't you just confiscate it? Why not just remove it from sight? Come on, King. There's no need to get all over dramatic here. You see, that's the problem with you independent Baptist people. You know, it's just over the top, over the top, over the top, overkill, overkill, overkill every time. No, no. It's called no compromise. Yep. Hey, right. yep. No compromise. Yep. And we get into trouble when we start compromising with our idolatry. Listen, folks, there's a right way and a wrong way. There's God's way and the world's way, Satan's way. I don't know about you, but I just want to follow God's way. Amen. All right, let me give you one, one, uh, one illustration and then I'll be done. Well, I'm not done, but I'll be finished. Well, I'll, be, I'll conclude. I won't be finished, okay? <laughs> I will conclude. There will come a time when I will end this message. I'm not done. But I'm going to end the message after this illustration. How does this apply? How does this apply to us? Don't you think it's strange that there is one gospel? Isn't that right? How many Gospels? One. The death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. One Gospel. And yet you go out here and get in your car and go down the road either direction. Doesn't make any difference. And you're going to pass church after church after church after church after church after church. And if you said, well, I'm going to go find out what all of them believe. You're going to, in about... Uh, uh, in about a year's time, you're, you're going to be checking in to the, to the mental hospital. You'll never figure out. You'll never figure it out. And isn't it funny? One gospel and yet thousands and thousands of interpretations of that gospel. Yep. 
Amazing, isn't it? Or some of them say, well, it's Jesus plus. And right there is their idol. I mean, they'll slit your throat over their idol. They will beat you up over their idol. It, it, you know, in America, you all know, I don't mince words. You know, I just don't. I don't uh, spray perfume over the sermon. You know, I just let it rip. I just let it go. And if it hurts, then pull your toes back. Okay? I mean, if I'm stepping on them, pull them back. But I'm not going to stop stomping. I'm just not going to do it. I made up my mind years ago, preacher. Years ago. We had a guy that, that, that was a member of my first church. And he was up in his, in his 80s. And we had our, uh, the church had our 50th celebration, 50th birthday, and, uh, and they called him and invited him to come. Well, I got up and preached that morning, and him and his wife were there. I introduced him, made a big to-do about him being there. And after the service was over, he was, he was, he was uh, waiting on me, and I walked back, and and he looked down at me and he, I said, Herman, so glad to see you. He looked down at me and here's what he said. He said, same old stuff, just a whole lot more of it. What'd that mean? He meant that I was preaching the same stuff that I preached to him 35 years ago. All right? Same stuff, all right? But now in that church, I had maybe about half of this many people, <laughs> all right? It was, it was tight, it's my first church. Started it from scratch. But when he came, there were several, several hundred, almost 2,000 people there. Same stuff, just a whole lot more of it. Man, that thrilled my soul. And I'm not about to compromise and change. Dr. Smith, Shelton Smith, you heard him preach last year, if you were here on video. Well, he and I are good friends. And uh, we, we, we go to Baltimore Oriole baseball games together. We love to watch baseball. And so we go down to the ball game. Well, one day we were we were down to the ball game, and it was a boring game. I mean, just awful. And um, and so Dr. Smith said, um, he said, you know, and we were talking about all these preachers that have uh, sold out. You know, they they've changed Bibles. You know, they don't use the King James anymore. Uh, they they have. Um, they have uh, gone contemporary, you know, they, they bring the Wiggle Sisters up on the platform, and, you know, let them jam for Jesus and all that stuff, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you'll never see me do that. You'll never see me allow that. No, sir. Dr. Smith looked over at me, we're talking about some of our friends some of our friends, some of the guys that I have preached for in the past and who have preached for me in the past. And now they won't have a thing to do with me because I'm too straight-laced, proudly. Dr. Smith looked over at me and he said, you better not ever compromise. If you compromise, I'm going to drive to your house and I'm going to pull you out in the front yard and I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> I said, fair, that's fair enough. So we both turned around, watched the game for a minute. So I just turned around to him and I said, let me tell you something, Shelton Smith. If you ever mess up, I'm going to drive down to Murfreesboro 
I'm going to go to your house. I'm going to grab you by your little skinny tie. And I'm going to pull you out the front door. And I'm going to pound you into the ground. You understand me? He smiled and said, I think we're mutual on that. You can't compromise, folks. That's right. Amen. Don't give in. Yep. All these churches got one gospel. Death, burial, resurrection. Yep. But all of them have some little mm, that they hold on to and burn incense to. You know, oh, well, well you, if you get saved, you better hold on. Hold on to what? Does that make any sense? I'm, I'm, I never understood that. My, my aunt and my cousins, they went to a Nazarene church and took me to church with them when I was just a little guy. And every service preacher, they grabbed me, pulled me down to the front. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go, but they dragged me. You know what I did as soon as the preacher said, open your Bible? Leaned my head over on my cousin's shoulder and went to sleep. I didn't hear a thing. I didn't hear a thing. But the invitation time, here they come. All of them grab me, take me to the altar, and I'm down, I'm down, pushed down to the floor. I'm 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 sitting there wondering, what are they doing to me? <laughs> you know? Are they gonna shoot me? Are they gonna kill me? Are they gonna beat me up? What are they gonna do? Are they gonna sell me? What are they gonna do? And one of them's hollering, hold on! All right, to what? <laughs> and then another one came over and said, turn loose. I said, all right, you people make up your mind. Do I hold on or do I turn loose? I mean, they had me all confused. And then I, we got older. I got saved for real. And... Uh, well, I got saved every, every Sunday for about three years, but uh, <laughs> in their eyes. But anyway, grew up and, and they said, uh, well, I, I guess you're a Baptist. You believe in that eternal security. I said, well, yeah, don't you? Oh, no, we don't believe that. Why? I said, well, let me ask you a question. John 3, 16, that that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Now, look here. I got saved in October of 1970. Now, it's 2000, January 2024. All right? Now, if it was everlasting back in 1970 when he gave it to me, come on. Amen. If it was everlasting back when I trusted Jesus and he gave me everlasting life, that means it's still lasting today. Amen. That means that when I was a week saved, and, and I, I, I kicked the chair while I was running to answer the telephone and then I lost it and I said some things, foul things that I used to say all the time before I got saved. I didn't lose it. And the reason I didn't lose it is because it was everlasting. You with me on that? That's not a license to sin. No, sir. Man, God convicted me big time for doing that. All right? Let's watch our idols. One more. I pastored a little church between, in 1980, 1980 to 1986. And right there in that little church was where I learned 
how to study, how to prepare messages, and basically how to preach. I mean, I learned it right there. Figured it out. And we had a, a, we had a, a deacon's meeting one night. And one of the deacons said, uh, Pastor, are you planning a, a fall revival? And I said, uh, yeah, I'd like to have one. I just don't know who to invite to be my speaker. I don't have peace about it. And one of the deacons said, and I was the new pastor. I'd only been there, you know, a year. And they said, well, why don't you preach our revival meeting? And I said, because we don't do that. And they said, well, we think that, said, we've already talked about it, and we think that you ought to preach the revival meeting so folks in the community can hear our pastor preach. And I said, well, do you think that's going to be a good thing? <laughs> you know? They said, yeah, we think you ought to do it. And so I said, oh, man, that's seven new sermons I got to prepare. <laughs> you know, that's how I looked at it. And so I said, okay. So I did. Well, on Monday night of the meeting, there were about three men came, came in, all of them wearing coat and tie and carrying a Bible. And they all sat down together in the back. Well, one of my men worked with those guys. And they came and said, those guys on the back row are from Golly Bridge American Baptist Church. I said, oh. They said, yeah, we work with them. We invited them to come. I said, oh, awesome, okay. Now, let me just stop right here. The American Baptist Association is as liberal as it gets. I mean, they don't believe anything. And let me rephrase that. They don't believe anything. All right? The preacher they had did not believe the Bible was inspired of God. He did not believe that, uh, that man... Uh, was uh, was an innately a sinner. He did not believe in the virgin birth. He did not believe in the resurrection. I mean, the guy was an infidel. And so these guys come. Well, I got up and I preached my sermon and just, you know, basically went nuts. Had a blast. People came down the aisle and got saved. And then after the service, those three came down to where I was and said, introduced themselves and said, man, we enjoyed this service. I said, well, good. I said, where do you guys go to church? Oh, we go to Dolly Bridge Baptist. And again, I didn't, but I wanted to. I wanted to say, why? But I didn't. I just said, oh, okay. They said, you know, we've not seen anybody walk the aisle and get saved in our church in 25 years. I said, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, our preacher doesn't even give an invitation. I said, well, what's he do? Just, just preach and let people do it on their own? He said, no, he really doesn't even, even preach. He just talks a little bit, and then we all sing and go home. Man. So Tuesday night, they were back. And they had two more with them. They had gone down to to their homes in, uh, five, mi five miles away from where my church was, Golly Bridge Baptist was. And they came back and they had two, two with them. Service was over, here they come. They introduced me to their two new friends. And the guys are saying, wow, man, what a service. We haven't been in a service like this since I can remember. This is awesome. And I said, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I mean, we do this every service. You know, this is not a show. We're not putting this on. This is what we do. And so Wednesday night came, and they all came back. And they brought two more with them. He said, didn't they have a Wednesday night service? No. No, they didn't have Wednesday night service. Nobody comes. You don't have it. You, you close it. All right? When people stop coming... Preacher just says, we're done on Wednesday night. It's 
They have one service on Sunday morning. That's it. That's it. So the next night, Thursday night, they all came back. Friday night, last night of the meeting, they all came back, brought a couple more with them. After the service, down the aisle they come. Oh, preacher, that was awesome. We love this. Man, this has been a great week. We have gotten fed from the Word of God. We're so excited. I said, um, uh, well, that's great, guys. I said, uh, you know, we do this every service. And one of them looked at me and said, you do? I said, yeah, we do it Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They said, wow, that's a lot of work for you, isn't it? And I said, well, you know, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. It's, it's what God called me to do. And they said, and I said, do you guys, I mean, if you're hungry, why don't you drive up here five miles? It's five miles. Won't you drive up here and start going to our church? And one of them kind of stepped back and looked, and he looked around at the others, and he said, well, well, we can't do that. And I said, why not? Uh, 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 well, we just, well, um, we, uh, 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 and I thought, man, come on, spit it out. What, what you gonna say? And here's what he ended up with. This was, this was it. Well, we can't come up here to church. Mom and dad are buried behind the church. Okay, you're going to sit in a dried up mausoleum. You're going to sit in a dead church and listen to a six foot icicle. Telling you what not to believe instead of what to believe. And you're telling me that you'd rather do that than come up here and get involved in the ministry and learn how to win souls and uh, get fed the word of God. You'd rather stay down there because your parents are buried behind the church. And it was just sort of a, you know, looking at me like, I think we messed up. And I thought, boy, you did mess up. But here's what I said to them. I said, well, I got an idea. They said, what's that? I said, let's go down to Golly Bridge behind the church, dig up your parents, and we'll bring them up here behind our church, and we'll bury them in the guy's yard behind the church. He won't mind. They're dead. I mean, if it means that much to you, then that's what we'll do. Boy, they just stood there looking at one another like, we got no argument for this. And they didn't. And they knew it. And they turned around and they left. And I never saw them again. Never saw them again. Isn't that amazing? You make an idol out of a building, out of a building. There's nothing sacred about this room except for when God's people gather here and God's Holy Spirit who lives within us sanctifies this building. Amen. There's nothing special about this building. It's brick, it's mortar, it's steel. It's glass. That's all it is. We don't come in here and get on the floor and bow down. No, this is just a building. What we are to do is to honor the Lord. Amen. Folks, be careful what you make an idol out of. I know people that have made idols out of the weirdest things. The college they graduate from. <laughs> Man, the college I graduated from has gone, it's just gone. It's gone. They don't have a Bible. They don't have a Bible. They use one of these 
wacky perversions of the Bible. That's not a Bible. I mean, you, you either have a Bible or you don't. And, uh, and, and they'll say, well, we haven't changed in 85 years. And what they mean by that is that they haven't changed their music standards in 85 years. Still have high church music. All right? But brethren, listen, I got, I've got people in my church who bow to that school. They will not put their children anywhere else except for that school. And their kids uh, come out of school. They come home at Christmas time. At Christmas time. First semester. And they look at me like I got two heads. I'm all of a sudden. I mean, they were raised up in the church under my preaching. Under my love for them. Under my praying for them. Many of them surrendered to the full-time Christian service because I preached the gospel to them and discipled them and loved them and trained them and helped them. And then one semester, and they come home, and all of a sudden, they don't like my Bible. They don't like my preaching. They don't like my soul winning. They don't like my bus ministry. They don't like the stands that I take. They don't like my music. They don't like anything. And I've had it out with some of these parents and I've said, they, they've come, well, I don't know what happened to them. Well, I know what happened to them. <laughs> I know what happened to them, you big dummy. You sent them to the wrong school. But they've made idols out of the school. Be careful. Be careful. Your idol is nothing more than just a piece of brass. It's just brick and mortar. Does that make sense to you? Amen. All right, let's bow our heads. Folks, let's draw an eye to God. If we draw an eye to God, God will draw an eye to us. We've given invitation after invitation, and I'm all for people making decisions for God. So I'm going to have our pianist play, and we're going to stand, and we're going to allow God to touch our hearts this afternoon. Let's all stand together, please. Let's pray, and then when I finish praying, if you want to come and get along with the Lord,